if February shows a strong labor market, that's not good for services inflation. If the labor market is strong and jobs report is strong, then we know we can already tell what CP, uh, CPI is going to say or PCE. So that that's going to reflect poorly. So that's why this is like a precursor. Yeah, I would expect it to be bad numbers. Yeah, expect it to be bad numbers. The last one was half a million, man. Right. And like 5x what they thought it was going to be. And then I believe uh, February CPI inflation report will be coming out on the 14th. Yeah, that, that's going to be a somber day. It's going to be tough. People wake up in the morning and be like, God damn it. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Higher Standard Podcast, where we give you ultra-premium, unfiltered truth when it comes to building your wealth and curating the lifestyle of your dreams. No games, no drama, and no shenanigans. I am your host, Chris Nahibi, and I'm here to help you distill the immense amount of information and disinformation out there on the interwebs and give you the opportunity to choose a higher standard for yourself. There are no gurus here, and no one gives a damn about how wealthy you look. I'm an attorney and a banker, amongst other things. Does that mean you should listen to me? Hell no. This is just full disclosure that while we talk about money, wealth, law, investing, and a lot of related topics, you should always speak to your own advisors for an opinion tailored to your unique investment perspective. I am obligated to tell you that nothing contained in this show is in fact legal or investment advice and is being provided solely for entertainment purposes. So sit back, relax your mind, and get ready for a different kind of podcast where we elevate your baseline in crispy, high-resolution audio. This isn't a different standard. It's the higher standard. Welcome back to the show, everyone. This week, we're touching on a little bit of everything. We're going to start off with a whole lot of good stuff in the housing market. We're going to jump on over to our boy, Charlie Munger, coming back at the crypto lovers. Mm. He is... uh, Still not a fan. Love me some Charlie Munger. Not a fan. Then we're going to spend some time talking about debt, particularly for those in their 30s. We'll talk a little bit about treasuries and maybe even a little bit about the best thing to do with your money. Spoiler alert, it might be just to keep it in cash. That's something we've been saying. But before we touch any of the topics, this is a very special episode for the three of us. Chris had to give up some control. I give up a lot of control. I do not have a switchboard in front of me. Mm. It's very off-putting. In Orun. Is outside. Outside the studio. Looking through the window <laughs> like a puppy in a pet store. <laughs> I feel bad. It feels weird not having him in the room. It does feel a little disrespectful. It, it, do- it, it does. <laughs> you guys kicked me out. Yeah. <laughs> There's a voice from nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, my God. I swear to God. Is that Jesus? Yeah. Is that you, Jesus? Why do you sound chubby? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So now that we started off on a light note, it should be worthwhile to point out that our boy, Dave Ramsey, mm. when he said house prices going to go up every year for the next five years, we were certain. We felt confident. We knew deep down in our core that was wrong. 100%. And then when the data started to come out from Black Knight, from Redfin, from other sources, we said, hey, it's not going to go that way. Right. And he doubled down. He doubled down. He, he was like, you know what? Stupid is good. I like to double down on stupid. Right. Had a little press conference, <laughs> had paper. I've been in the mortgage business for 44 years. Supply and demand are the only thing that drives the market. Right. Well, not, affor- we, not affordability. Not affordability. No, no, uh-huh. never say. I've never heard him say it. Jesus, he's been in the market for 44 years. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. For someone who speaks about making sure you buy things that you can afford and don't put it on credit cards. I'm just saying. Yeah. He might not know what he might not know. Mm. 
That being said, Barron's, the housing market flips. The first sign of a reversal in prices is here. And if that wasn't dark, I copied the whole damn article. <laughs> We're in for a ride. We're in for a ride. And for those of you who like to make fun of what is my terrible reading, yeah. I'm going to give you plenty of ammo on it. <laughs> yeah, plenty exactly. of ammo. After months of thinning gains, home prices have finally fallen to from a year ago level, starting off early. <laughs> According to one, <laughs> one frequent gauge of data, it could be a sign of what's to come as full month indicators, which show price growth from a year prior catch up. Mm-hmm. Investors last month received a slate of December and January home price data to digest. The figures from the National Association of Realtors and S&P Dow Jones indices show that prices continued to slip month over month, but remained positive from a year ago. You ready? Yeah. This is where it gets salty. Here we go. Economists typically measure prices from year-ago levels to contend with housing market seasonality. Mm -hmm. And this new batch of data reflected a continued slowdown in gains as rising mortgage rates dampened the pandemic's previous housing boom. Mm. The Realtors Association said the median single-family home sold for $363,100 in January, an increase of 0.7% from the year prior, while S&P CoreLogic Case-Shiller Home Price Indices December data, which tracks changes to single-family home prices as an index number, reflected a national price gain of 5.8% year-over-year. One of my favorite indices. Love Case-Shiller. More frequent data show that the housing market may have reached a turning point in February. That kind of aligns with a little show I've listened to called The Higher Standard. Uh A little bit. They may have been saying something to the effect of house prices are going down. Yeah, 10 to 15%. Quoting Redfin and Black Knight Mm. in all the cities across the country. With thin price gains turning into declines, Redfin on Thursday said its measure of the median home sale price dropped 0.6% from a year ago levels over a four-week period that included much of February through January and January through February 26th. I don't know why it said that, but that's what it said. Data for the previous four-week period from January 23rd through February 19th was revised to a 0.3% decline. Wow. Home prices are officially going down. Officially going down. And I think the article touched on seasonality. Mm-hmm. plays a big part uh, in this. And according to the National Association of Realtors, spring is the most important season for house- the housing market. Which we're in. Which we're in now. So as, because in the past, 40% of existing home sales for the year occur through March through June. So these next you know, three months are going to be very, very telling for people. And invariably, some a-hole who listens to this is going to be like, hey, man, you know what the fuck you're talking about, man. <laughs> Home values in my area are going down. You, why are you lying to people? Right. Look, it's not everywhere. Right. It certainly isn't everywhere the home prices are going down. No. But it's enough places to where the average number across this country is negative. Right. And it started out west and it's creeping inland now, right? Started off west, kind of creeping inland a little bit, hit the coast a little bit, hit, hit um, kind of that Sunbelt region, think California through to Texas, up through Florida. Yeah. Certainly a lot through there. But this is the beginning of my mind. I think there's more to go down in stock prices in the markets. Mm-hmm. Yes. I think there's more to go down in home prices. Right. And frankly, we've talked about the inflation and the inverse relationship and what we really need to do. Mm-hmm. But just in case you're thinking to yourself, you know what, guys, this is one article. 
Right. Okay. Don't get overly optimistic and cocky here. Right. I know that Saeed's a chief economist. <laughs> and he's kind of a big deal. No. And he may have said some things, but, you know, I just, I don't know. Saeed, mm-hmm. you, you, you have uh, anything you want to talk about? Yeah. So, is there something uh, you want to say? For yeah, yourself? So, Ar- Defend your Arun, position, Arun, man. Arun, Arun's pull, pulling up a, a, the article and it says prices fell in every one of the top 20 U.S. cities in December. That's what the report said. So, I mean, what's a top U.S. city, though? This what makes from, it a top city? I feel like everyone who lives in their city feels like it's the top city. It's coming from home prices continue to decelerate across the country per new report from Bankrate. Like, I feel like I'm the top host. So, you ooh. can feel like however you want. Yeah, Just like on, every no, realtor can feel like their market's No, because fire. when we're together, I'm on top. I'm the top host. Why? Why? <laughs> Why? Such an <laughs> unnecessary sexual reference, bro. <laughs> so, what do you mean? On top? I'm on top. But you're not on top. I'm always on top. Not, not on top. You know this. I'm a power bottom anyway. <laughs> According to Fortune, the, U- the U.S. housing market just took another hit. What? And another one. A third article? <laughs> a third one? No. This can't. This can't be true, guys. Stop it. Well, turns out through December, as our chief economist has already told us, U.S. single-family home prices, as measured by the seasonality-adjusted Case-Shiller National Home Price Index, there's a chart, are down 2.7% from their June 2022 peak. Without seasonal adjustment, national home prices are down 4.4%. That's a big problem, kids. Right. And just in case you wanted a visual representation, I suggest you click in the show notes and you check out this article from fortune because there's actually a reference to the fed data and some other data which shows you the month over month change and i would like to point out the last time this was negative like this like we're currently seeing right now was 2007 little period called the great recession kids i remember that time and home prices since then have effectively been positive all in the green in this case blue in the graph now you're talking negative you're talking going down right okay at the same time, mortgage purchase application index is lower than it was in 2007. Right. Those those hit the lowest levels in the last 28 years. Yep. It's a problem. Because mm-hmm. higher borrowing costs are squeezing affordability more and more. So for those of you who doubted the idea that this was going to happen, you can't have mortgage applications come into effectively a crawl. Right. You can't have mortgage rates going up. Yeah, I feel like the mortgage applications numbers, those are very, very telling, right? Super telling. They're an early indicator, yes. right? But here's the part. It, this this whole rhetoric of supply and demand is so ass backwards. Right. And you could, you could find a way to reverse engineer how all this affects supply and all this affects demand. But mm-hmm. in reality, right. there are more complicated and real problems with that argument than people understand. And the number one problem is affordability can people actually buy these things right and right now they just can't they can't so like i said higher borrowing costs are squeezing affordability more and more an example that i brought up to you before the show that i thought was very very interesting was an increase in mortgage rate from 6.4 percent to 7.4 percent which is not unlikely i mean i know we crossed over the seven handle threshold but it came it came back down a little bit but with the interest rate hikes that are still to come and this could still get priced in. I fully and truly expect to see rates well north of, of 7% in, I agree. in the not-too-distant future. Right. So an increase from 6.4% to 7.4% would have the same effect on affordability as a 10% increase would in home prices. Mm-hmm. And that's why affordability yes. is, such a, is such a powerful thing, right? So if, 
you have rates go up one or two percent. Yeah, that's like twenty percent on your home prices. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, actually, it's more exponential than that, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a pretty big chunk. It's a big deal. So for people to just look this off and be like, eh, it's not a big deal. Eh. Mm-hmm. No, it's a problem. Right. It's a real, legitimate, tangible problem, especially when you combine it with the amount of debt load that everybody's carrying. Mm-hmm. So I read a really interesting article from Wolf Street. Yeah. Uh, one of the listeners kindly sent it to me. It was very nice of them. Mm-hmm. Talking about how housing bust number two has begun. And some markets are already deep into it. Others have just started, kind of like we talked about at the top of the show. Some markets are impacted. Some markets are not. Right. A sobering trip from the free money decade in La La Land back to where we are today. Yeah. Or where we should be going today anyway. Mm-hmm. So I thought this article was interesting because it really referenced effectively what we've been kind of referencing in previous shows. Mm-hmm. And that's this love affair with the Volcker era, 81, 82, double dip recessionary economy. Yes. Right. So across the U.S., home sales have plunged month after month ever since mortgage rates started to rise a year ago. And we know because of how impactful right. 1% rate rate increase can be now. Mm-hmm. In January, across the U.S., total home sales plunged 37% from January last year. And again, you have sales plunged that much. You expect values not to go down. How does that make sense? Right. It doesn't. But we romanticize the idea of this shortage of supply. I'm going to keep hitting home the supply problem is bullshit the entire episode. <laughs> exactly. This bores you, uh, strap in. It's yeah. going to be a long it's going to be a long right. show for you, okay? Sales plunged in all regions, but they plunged worst in the west, which is why we say this started in the west. Right. By 42% year over year and the least worst, if I may, in the Midwest by 33%. That is not an uncommon phenomenon to see the midwest react slower and not as impactful and widely swinging yeah and i'll explain that in a moment but effectively this is happening everywhere people need to stop with this hey man my market's different man it's special because we've got a shortage of supply because dave ramsey said so stop right okay this this episode if it does nothing else take home one concept dave ramsey sucks (laughs) so wait why does that happen to the midwest so the Midwest doesn't have the volatility of pricing. They don't go up as much, yes. but they also don't come down as much. There's just not that volatility. Their home right. prices generally on average are not as high as they are on average in places that are major metropolitan dense areas right. on the coast. I see. So because of that, they don't have the highs and the lows of appreciation or depreciation. Mm-hmm. It's also kind of the reason why I like them, right? I was going to say, is that why you like you know investing? I like investing there because it, it sucks because I'm never going to get like maximum upside potential. Like if I own a property in like some areas of Texas or California or New York or some areas of Florida where you have this massive wide appreciation of value. Right. But I get consistent rental income. Yeah. I don't care what these properties appraise for. I don't care about my, my net worth rising. I care about my cash flow being consistent and rising with time. Yeah. And I okay. get that in the Midwest. That, that's what I get there. This article was actually really cool. And I'll tell you. I like the idea of someone breaking down the concept of we had a dip in in transactional volume. Yeah. And now we're seeing a dip in home prices as well. And they kind of layered in this concept. There was two housing busts here. The market capped out and transactions stopped. Yes. And now a second bust, which is really the the price drop, is coming. Yeah, because I think what's what's really going on also is you know, stronger than expected economic data was coming out, whether that was the slowdown in the disinflation of CPI. 
the increase. People were celebrating though, man. Everybody was like, oh my God, this is so amazing. We've capped out. We're good. The market's right. Like, soft landing. And when, you're like, no, when, stop. When CPI, when it, it started to slow down, went from 6.5 to 6.4. And then we actually saw an increase in PCE. And then we got the strong jobs report. Mm -hmm. And then we had the strong PPI report, right? Then all of a sudden, the expectations of what the Fed's going to do started to come out. And then they're like, wait a minute. I, people are starting to believe that the Fed's actually going to do what they said they're going to do. There's a large chorus, man. They're pricing in 50 basis points right now for March. Uh -huh. uh, yeah, I if know. That, if that happens, man, I'm I telling you. Right I don't think that's Nobody call me that day if it happens. No, Just that, don't call me. That, that would be terrifying for all markets, all financial markets. I think it'd be massively terrifying. And I also think that there's some really scary things going to happen between now mm -hmm. and then. Uh, was that today that Powell was supposed to talk in front of speak in front of the no, Senate? No, I think it's going to be tomorrow, right? Tomorrow yeah, or tomorrow. the day after, right? But uh, there was some other stuff that came out um, that I thought was very, very interesting. So uh, KB Home and Dr. Horton, J.P. Morgan came out and downgraded both of them. Home builders, bro. Yeah, due to the recent climb in mortgage rates, they can they can they can see they can see what's uh, what's to come. Because home builders, man, they 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 have like this. They change so, mm -hmm. their opinion of the market. Is like it's amazing, uh, shit. It's amazing. It's they go back and forth all the time. Right. It's incredibly frustrating to watch. And then when I was reading the article, I thought something that was good for. I know maybe a majority of the listeners or some of the listeners know know this already, but I thought it'd be worth mentioning for those who don't. So when you read any of the stuff that the analysts put put out, you know uh, what they basically did was they said Dr. Horton went from overweight to neutral. Mm -hmm. Right. And KB Home went from overweight to underweight. Mm -hmm. Right. And I thought it was it'd be good to break down, you know, what those terms mean. Right. So if you ever hear an analyst say that they're bullish on something. Right. That's a term that's constantly being thrown around. I mean, strong buy, buy. It also means overweight, outperform. Mm -hmm. Right. That's what an analyst is talking about. If they're bearish on something, that means to sell. It's also underweight, underperforming, reduce. Or if they claim that it's neutral, it's a whole neutral equal weight. That's a, that was a solid little little drop of information. Just, just a little gem, you know. I know I'm sure some people know that, maybe most people, but for those who don't, you know, what bothers me about a lot of these terms. Yeah, and this, this I'll listen to CNBC and the 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 people that are that are like, you know, in the business in the space. Yeah, they have their own constant changing lexicon of words. Yeah. So it's not just bearish and bullish anymore. It's like hawkish and dovish. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's the same shit. That's the kind of shit that throws people off and it's confusing. Like, what the fuck am I listening yeah, to? Yeah, someone's like, wait a minute. I thought we were bears and bulls and now we're hawks and doves. Yeah, and yeah. When do they start crying? <laughs> when do the doves cry? I swear. <laughs> I swear. <laughs> it's very confusing. It's so. very confusing. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, it's going to be interesting to see. I know a lot of people read into, you know, Jerome Powell's tone. And he knows it, too. So he's very aware of yeah, this. Yeah, he does. So if he comes out, and this is why people like to look into this, and it'll be very telling for what to expect. I think what you're going to hear is the same stuff that we've been saying, that they're going to hold rates for longer. You know, you can almost ex definitely book a June rate increase. Oh, yeah. If you, The only thing that I think in my mind that would stop a June rate, a Fed interest rate hike, mm -hmm. is that if we got 50 basis points in March... You got some good readings in in April, mm -hmm. an amazing increase. You might get twenty five, and they they may may stop there, but right. Certainly, the, the consensus from Bloomberg is still twenty five, twenty five, twenty five through June. So I believe the day this episode drops, um, it'll be uh, March tenth. That'll be the day the February jobs report comes out. Mm. 
that's you know which is supposed to be the first friday of the month but like that was no 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 no. that's that's a misconception so a lot of people think that it's the first friday of the month it's actually like the it's kind of a weird schedule but is it the general rule is the first friday every single month but mm-hmm. it isn't always that way right so yeah there, there are instances where you get like this last time where it came out and didn't come out right so if the if february shows a strong labor market that's not good for services inflation if the labor market is strong and jobs report is strong then we know we can already tell what cp uh, cpi is going to say or pce so that that's going to reflect poorly so that's why this is like a precursor. Yeah, I would expect it to be bad numbers. Yeah, expect it to be bad numbers. The last one was half a million, man. Right. And like 5X what they thought it was going to be. And then I believe uh, February CPI inflation report will be coming out on the 14th. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a somber day. It's going to be tough. People wake up in the morning and be like, God damn it. Yeah. What is, what, and it needs, it, needs to, it needs to start taking a reverse course where it starts heading down faster again. If not, then. It's not going to head down fast. It's not. Home prices are going down, but they didn't go down significantly. And again, yeah. we've covered this. Home prices don't go down. Mm-hmm. Guess what? CPI ain't going down. Right. Accept that. That's right. a fact. Tell your friends. Go to cocktail parties. <laughs> or listen to this amazing podcast. They talk about everything. This is a fact. It's going to happen. Yeah. So it's I true. asked this question. Whoa, same. shit, bro. You can't just chime in like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I know. We need a light. You, you we need a red like light a, in here anytime like you want to chime in. Or some shit. Wow. <laughs> yeah. just came right out. Jesus, is that you? <laughs> this is gonna be fun until I get a standing desk at least. Um, I asked Saeed this, bro. You just time. started working here. <laughs> this guy's making requests. This guy's taking PTO. Yeah. Now he's asking for standing desks. Man. What the hell, man? You got a repetitive stress injury from not working. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. Jesus, shit. So I asked Saeed this question last time after the show was over. What do you mean when you say prices of houses have to go down? Oh wow! Tell uh, me, yeah. don't listen to the show. Yeah, no, he means <laughs> maybe maybe that's us just not breaking it down uh, well enough. I feel like well, that's no. so. Not so shelter, show. housing, no, housing Chris. and shelter. Sorry, Chris, don't forget you sometimes get new listeners, right? So they might not have listened to a show. Oh, he's right wow. about that. The is, numbers is, are the numbers are going up. Explaining the hey. show to me no. on the show. I think he's reminding you that you know the show is doing well, bro. I could throw this headset across the room and walk out right now. Yeah. No, but just, I'm not because I'm lazy. The show's doing well. We are getting we are getting new listeners. So all right. So, thank you to everyone that's referring family and friends. And if you haven't, shame on you. Yeah. You, you should, should be, call all your friends right now and tell them it's an emergency. It's a crisis. They need to listen to the show. And you need to grab their phones and you know what to do. Yeah. Five star review. Stop Honest it. ones only. Stop it. You know. There's only one way. Stop playing. And don't forget to follow. Follow it too. Don't be mad. <laughs> Five stars. Yeah. <laughs> Whether that's on Apple or on Spotify. Yeah. Make it happen, Kevin. All right. So rent or rent equivalent. What are they? Well, rent is easy. It's what you pay for rent on average. That's mm-hmm. a lagging indicator, and the data comes from all over the place at different times. It's not very well kept and provided. Rent equivalent is tantamount to what home ownership would be if you converted it to rent. Yes. So This is very murky. It's very murky, and yeah. it sounds just as convoluted as it actually is. Yeah. But effectively, if home prices go up and your mortgage payment goes up, that is your rent equivalent. Yeah. So when I say that CPI is significantly impacted by home prices. Mm-hmm. What I'm trying to say is about 30 to 32%, and there's a little bit of gray area here on with the interpretation. I think they actually increased it a little bit. So it's, it's a, like 34. Yeah, I don't know that that's true. I think it's closer to 30. Remember I told you they, they, I know, they, I adjust, they adjusted the way CPI is calculated. Suffice now. it to say it's over 30% mm-hmm. of CPI is rent or rent equivalent. 
And that shouldn't be crazy to most people because when you think about it, most people spend the most money on where they live. Right. That's your number one expense. And if you go to Fannie or Freddie for a mortgage application, mm -hmm. they allow you to spend, given your front end and back end ratios of your gross income, uh, you know, call it 30, 35, 40%. Right. And of your aggregate after debt, your, your you know, post everything added all together, how much free cash will you have? 55% in some cases. Right. So, I mean, it's it's a significant portion of people's expenses. Right. So, so of course, that's a huge part of inflation because if rent goes up and your home prices go up, that's how you, the consumer, are most impacted. Exactly. And just take it a step further. So because it makes up so much of the report, if I, the example I gave a couple episodes ago was if all the things they're measuring for inflation were at 0% mm -hmm. and housing was inflation was at 6%, we still would not be at the Fed target. No. So that should show you that in and in no case will it ever be 0% across the board. So houses need to come down. That's why every time Jerome Powell comes out, he says, you know, the housing market is still hot. He needs prices to come down to, to where it's negative from, you know, the previous month, right? So that's just the fact. There's no other way around. There's no way for him to get to his target and and actually pivot off and start cutting rates. Yep. And sadly, the the world has this fallacy. And by the world, I mean Dave Ramsey. Mm. Has this fallacy of there's a shortage of supply in the housing market and people are just going to continue to buy because there's this pent-up demand and they're just going to buy and buy and buy. Anytime any listing comes on, they're just going to keep buying and drive those prices up. And clearly, you can see how that directly works in contradiction with what the Fed's trying to do. Right. And since we are talking to some of the new and the old listeners, you have to understand the natural byproduct of the Fed, the Fed's monetary policy, increasing the Fed funds rate, mm -hmm. is that unemployment goes up. Wages come down. Right. Home prices come down. These are all the natural consequences. Right of what's happening here. And for everybody who says, no, 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 you don't understand, I would say, no, 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 you don't understand, they don't understand. There's a lot of polar, there's a lot of political polarization to this. This is not politics. This is just mm -hmm. basic core concepts of monetary policy. Yeah. And the guy, the guy who loves to argue me, the girl who loves to argue about this is always the same person. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can assure you, go find somebody who picked a fight with me on social media. Go find somebody who disagrees with this opinion. Mm -hmm. It's always going to be somebody younger who's not been in business for a whole long, a whole long period of time right. who believes that they know a lot about this because they may have studied a recession, but they'll always tell you why their business is different, mm -hmm. why their customers are different, why they are successful, but they've only been in business for five years, for 10 years. Right. If, no if, disrespect to any of them, but you haven't lived through a recession and yet you want to talk like you know all about them. Right. It's true. If I mean, if we've learned anything throughout... In during this period at all should be that the Fed, there's no elasticity, right? Or it's not as much as the Fed would like. Mm, I love it when you talk about elasticity. You like elasticity? You, you need elasticity, yeah, right? my waistbands, bro. I can't, I can't put it <laughs> I need to, hey, hold on. I'm not going to act like I don't. I well, do. I, I need elasticity too. I mean, only one of us here has got gout. <laughs> He's not in the room. No, but okay. So you can see how this all plays out, right? When the Fed raises interest rates, what happens to businesses? Businesses take out, you know, less loans, 
right? There's less expansion. There's less hiring. After less hiring, there's less capital equipment purchases, less capital expenditures spent. They, they got to they gotta cut back on all the perks. Then what happens? Okay, now, unfortunately, we have to do some layoffs, right? What happens then? Then wages start to come down because they're battling this wage inflation. What happens once, there's, once the wages start to come down? Other surrounding businesses will have to lower their prices. <laughs> Why are you looking at me like that? Because, man, I'm about to say something I don't want to say, but it's true. Mm. Unlike the Great Recession, people were so generally grateful to have a job through that recessionary economy. And I remember people were afraid of losing their jobs. There was like a natural phobia. Mm. I'm not, I'm, this is not me generational bashing. I've just noticed there is a greater sense of entitlement in the younger generation now, the, the new to the workforce generation, the Gen Z. I, I genuinely feel like people don't realize we're on the cusp of something. Oh, we're not on the cusp. We're deep. Yeah. We're deep in a recessionary economy. Yeah. You just, people don't understand that it gets more and more pronounced as, it, as you go through it. Yeah. So, but there, there is this weird sense of entitlement, not by all, obviously all members of the class, mm -hmm. but in general, we, we have created and fostered this perpetual, like work is supposed to cater to you mentality. I deserve this. I deserve that. And it's like, what about the company? Mm -hmm. we're all fiduciaries for the company, whether it's public or not. Like your job is to propel this company forward. And sometimes you have to take a sacrifice to get there. Right. You know, even the owners have to take a sacrifice or even, you know, the shareholders have to take a sacrifice because they're trying to do the best thing for the company because that's what you're supposed to do. It's a separate entity. Right. And we've created this sense of entitlement, man, where people really don't understand that, they need to make sacrifices for the company too. They they want their cake and eat it too. Yeah. I want to work from home, but I want my money. Yeah. I want my freedom, but I want consistent like pay, but I want to work the hours I want to work. If I come back to the office, how much more are you gonna pay me? That's that's happened a lot recently. I know I I have I know people that have said that. Or they'll send us job descriptions of similar situated jobs, other companies where they they say that they're remote. Yeah. And look, I, I get the frustration on everybody's part, I really, really do. But at the same time, it's incredibly insensitive to be saying that to people who've been in the office the entire time. Yeah. I told you, I told the story about how that happened to me when I first came back. Yeah. I, yeah. I saw somebody and they, and they mentioned that they'd been here the whole time. Yep. Yeah, yeah. I never left, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I never left, bro. It's true, man. And there, it, it's it's crazy to me to think that that people will justify why it's important to them. And I think that we as a society have gotten so far away of, away from, like everybody does have unique circumstances, I get that. Right. But we've gotten so far away from the idea that it's not about your unique circumstances. Right. It's about treating similarly situated people equal. And how can you do that when you're accommodating everybody? Yeah, it's hard to. There's and. There are exceptions that are going to have to be made because a lot of people made a lot of changes and some that are irreversible. Uh, yeah, I mean, in some cases, sure, yeah. Yeah. But I would say there's a right way to make those kind of changes and there's a wrong way. Mm -hmm. Some people did it the right way. They had full disclosure. They had the, they had the whole thing. They, you know, they did their, the right thing. They, they told everybody about it. They, they talked to their managers and some people just did it. Yeah. I, man, I, I swear, people literally were like, oh, I would love to come into the office. I live in Utah now. You're like, what? You're gonna give us a heads up. You're like, we have we have a responsibility to pay taxes. Yeah, you know? it's like, yeah, seriously. It's like, this is how we find out. 
what about the, we're sending stuff to your to your address oh i still own that property but i live here now I, you know i'm like what also hard dude there's so much of that going on man it's yeah. crazy it's it's at a it's at a point now where i don't even i don't even know how to like articulate it to some people like like you you do understand this is unfair right right and yeah they don't i have a question about that um uh, just chime in right in whenever he wants <laughs> you give the man uh, control of the soundboard and this is what happens you're feeling some kind of way i, I regret it already no i like I'm, it i like it i'm feeling good um if someone does end up moving to utah right are they supposed to report that to hr like because i yes. know sometimes that changes yes the salary right no well i mean it, well i guess it depends on your company but um, some companies will consider the cost of living in certain areas being cheaper and how much a similar situated job would pay in that particular market. So you would get a comp readjustment because your cost of living is way less there. I've never really liked that a whole lot, but I've always thought about it. Like, look, you shouldn't get paid less depending for the same job in a different market, but certainly companies can do that and get the same quality of work. Right. So it's really dependent on the company and what they're, they're, I just they're think that, I just think that, look. You should always have a good relationship, good line of communication with the people that you work with. I don't care if it's someone above you or under you or someone, you know, a colleague. Like, Yeah, man, yeah, this is a very dangerous territory. Communication to different people means different things. How so? Uh, so before, let me finish this previous slide before I go to that. So if you do move, you do need to tell your company because there are tax implications to the company paying you yes. wages in a different state. Right. So you need to make sure that your company is situated to pay taxes in that state for you as an employee. Yeah, I know I know friends that were uh, applying for jobs um, and went through the entire interview process. And when it got to like the final interview, they asked like, oh, just just for reference, I just want, where, where do you live again? I mean, it was on the resume too. Yeah, yeah. And they're like, oh, I live in California. Oh yeah, we're not hiring anybody in California. Yeah. And it's because of the taxes. Because of the taxes and because there's some transparency. Insurance benefits. There's transparency of pay here as yeah. well, so. You can ask what the salary grade is, the position. They have to post it online. It, it can be very complicated. Yeah. Um, and then the other problem is people from different states will look up what you get paid in California. They'll be like, okay, well, why do I get paid less than this range? Mm -hmm. And I'm in like Idaho or I'm in Montana or whatever, you know? Yeah. So it, it, it's very, from an HR perspective, the laws are so complicated between state and federal laws that it, I'm glad I'm not in HR. Yeah. So the communication thing, man. So at, throughout my career, I, I have generally tried to like speak to everybody like in a friendly way. Oh, yeah. I've, I've noticed right? that. And it has done me such a massive disservice professionally. I can't believe more people don't appreciate it. Like they, they forget. Oh, I, I, am, I have had more complaints than anybody I know to HR about the things that I've said in jest. Mm -hmm. Because you just can't do it in the workplace anymore. Yeah. And, and the sad part is, is like we... We all want to evolve. We all want to watch basically softcore porn on Game of Thrones. Mm -hmm. We all want to to do what we do and have different opinions, different. Like some people, you know, go to raves yeah. and wear really revealing clothes. Like I don't care what y'all do, right? But then you go to the office and you want to draw the line in, at like, oh, he said this or her perfume is too much or you know he made a sarcastic joke and yeah. it, it the, the the lines of communication can be very different. Right. And what's crazy to me is in the workplace, you'll have a 60 something year old who has really traditional values and will get, get offended if you say the word fuck. Right. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm just giving you an example. I know. Right. I mean, that's sad. Then you have a 24, 25 year old in the same place of employment mm -hmm. who would not get offended if you said that. 
Right. And as a matter of fact, would probably be more endeared to you. They feel like they could be themselves around you if you said that. Might even work harder. Might even work harder if they felt a connection to you and they felt like, you know what? Chris is real with me. He can be, he can be, I, I can be myself around him. He's not going to get offended easily. Yeah. But you can't make everybody happy. That's so what, what do you yeah, do? That's why culturism is so important. You really make no one happy. It's impossible to make everyone happy. The farther you go up in a corporate career, the less of your real personality people get to see. Or yeah. and that's what's so polarizing. Or will appreciate. Or will appreciate it. Or right. I mean, they, they look. See, the problem is too is some people will see companies as a way to to just get more money. Oh, he did this. Or, oh, she did that. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna get my money. Or I'm gonna get this, and yeah. And it, it's so. It's so. I know. I, I've always been of of a twisted of man. a different mindset. If I'm ever working, is I want to cause the least amount of problems as possible. I want to. I want to be viewed at it that way. Though. I just want to be viewed as the type of person that's like this person is not going to cause any problems. See, when you start a company with a small group of people, you start it with this like sense of loyalty and family and appreciation. And even though you might not get along, yeah, generally speaking, you guys all have like an emotional connection to the business. Yeah, because you ground it out together. You guys got there together. You work hard. Like it's there's like passion, there's blood, right. sweat, it, and tears it, yeah, in it. It feels like your own passion project in a way. But then when you get big enough, yeah. You can't hire people who care about the business the same amount that you do. No, no, no. You get people who care about it a lot less. And they look at this as this is a paycheck. Mm -hmm. I can ring this bell and get some money out of it if somebody crosses the line in a way that I feel like I can report. Not I that know. I'm offended. Right. That I can report. Yeah. And that that's where like a lot of this, like the communication concept to me is interesting. So people will, so the number one question when someone says, hey, I, I, I want to communicate more. Mm -hmm. I always ask them like, what does that mean to you? Some people that means I just want one-on-one -on -one personal meetings with you face-to-face. -face. Yeah, that's a good follow-up question. Yeah, what does that mean to you? Some people want more email communication. Some people just want more direction. Some people want more gossip. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it really, it's so different. Mm -hmm. So you you have to you have to build that level of communication where you can figure out like what that means to them. Yeah. Because everybody communicates differently. Yeah. Like I communicate with expletives. I mean. And fat jokes. All the time. About myself. Only about yourself. Only about myself. Yeah. And hair jokes about myself. <laughs> I mean. Both hair transplants. Transplant survivor. And. Laser hair laser removal. Laser hair removal. Yeah. My new hobby is pulling the dead hair out of my like. Dead hair? Yeah. Because when you get laser hair removal, the follicle dies. And That's your like, hobby, right? Since you, gave up, since you gave up the gym? So, so now I pluck it up. No, I didn't give up the gym, bro. Bro, you gave up the gym. I'm back in the gym. Let me ask you. No. Nope. Don't let me, do this. Come on. Don't do this on the show. Let me get that easy curl bar. You're not even using it. <laughs> I haven't used that thing ever. It's like, got, it's, it's got like a whole. So once upon a time, not long ago during the pandemic, I built out a home gym. A very nice one. Very nice home gym. Squat rack, uh, lap pull down. Kettlebells. Kettlebells. Pretty much, I mean, jump rope, ab station, uh, GHD. Or yeah. G, yeah. Got a, I got a lot of stuff there. Yeah. Um, and uh, bumper plates, the whole thing. And uh Yeah. <laughs> I haven't touched it in a couple of years now. Because <laughs> you, you got the Equinox membership. I did, but I rode the Peloton this morning. I saw that. It was a very foreign concept. Yeah. How do you, like, you like that? I love the Peloton. And I don't like riding the bike, dude. I don't like riding that, the bike. That seat looks very uncomfortable. It is very uncomfortable. You, did they give you two seats? Yo, I can tell you something right now. It might be crossing the line. Well. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like I should do this. Cross it. Because, okay. All right. So on TRT... <laughs> Okay, uh -huh. testosterone replacement therapy. One of the natural byproducts is your testicles shrink up because they're producing less natural oh, testosterone. Oh, no, hold on, just, just bear with me, bro. Well, I didn't know. Bear that. with me. This is economically related. Okay, there's a lot of men who struggle with this. Okay, 
So because my testosterone was low, I started taking testosterone replacement therapy. You know, I, um, I've noticed that the giggle berries are a little bit smaller these days. The giggle berries? <laughs> I'm Who are you? I'm trying to correct. Come what, on, what you man. Want? Testicles? Yeah. They're a little yeah. bit smaller. Yeah. Uh, 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 an interesting fun fact uh-huh. is I used to ride the bike and that would be very uncomfortable for me. Yeah. Like after a while. It, it, but all of a sudden it got really comfortable. There's... Just listen, man. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. You took yourself off and you just left? Yeah. <laughs> Damn, man, I got all so, kinds of room now. So listen, there was there used to be a lot of flopping. Yeah. Okay. No and, flopping. And no. now there's not as much flopping because yeah. Yeah. Thanks of TRT. Blaming TRT, huh? Yeah. Thanks of repositioned themselves a little bit mm-hmm. down there. I noticed this morning because I've ridden the bike in a long time. I got the bike and I was like, huh? That wasn't so incredibly awkward like it normally is. So hope, nor- normally I'll stand the whole time while I'm riding. My mind's going on overdrive right now to not get us canceled. Just think. No, ask ask away, bro. I've no, got, there's nothing I've got to ask. No, there's no question you can't ask. I, look, I hope somebody hears what's, this. What's the longest you've ever uh, ridden the Peloton? Uh, About an hour and a half. Hour and a half? Yeah. I feel like my ass would fall asleep. No, but you know Has what? Has that ever if, happened? If, if you sit down the whole time. You're, you're getting like numb in some, some yeah, areas, so but I don't. Well, I'm always like standing sitting, standing it makes sitting. You, it makes you stand and sit a bit, right? And then, okay. Well, so like, um, so I'll normally do like a 20, 30 minute class at most. Every once in a while, if I'm feeling ambitious, I'll do like a 45 minute one. Mm-hmm. But uh, I went through a period of time where what I would do is I would return emails. So I, if I couldn't sleep, I'd get up at like super early in the morning and I'd return emails and I would just sit there and like on like a, like a scenic ride where it would just be like the, like the mountains and shit and whatever and just kind of doing the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, hour and a half is about the longest I've gone. I mean, you can get an incredible workout, though, in 20 minutes, man. If you actually push hard and do it. Right. It's underestimated. Look, cardio is car- People overestimate the amount, the amount of cardio they need in their life. Yeah, man. And people overestimate the amount of, like, energy they need to exert. You just need to be constantly moving a little bit throughout the day. Walks are good. You don't, you don't need that high-intensity stuff. I mean, you don't. Only, I, only I like only... that, though. Yeah. I like the sweat. I like the, I like the little bit of torture in the day. The right. Start my day. Yeah. I mean, it releases a lot of dopamine. Man, you got it so far off topic, bro. That's me? Yeah, you, You're man. talking about flopping. Little dope. No, I- You used to flop playing basketball, now you're flopping riding the Peloton, or no flop, longer flopping, flop no longer flopping. But l- let's be clear here, okay? Yeah. There's somebody out there who's going to listen to this podcast and be like, you know what? Chris just pushed me over the line to get TRT. Like, I, w- I was thinking about it. I didn't know. I was very on the fence, but the idea of no flopping yeah. and not going numb when I'm riding a bike, yeah. like, Chris is now enhancing my life. I'm, I'm really? giving people quality of life. You don't understand because you got to tell you right now. I'm telling you right now. I feel like the type of person that would get TRT. Don't do this. Don't do this. Is not riding the Peloton, bro. They're hitting the weights. That's true. They're hitting the weights. That's unlike not true. you. That's that's a, um, that's a very very inappropriate thing to say. You I'm, might get canceled for that. What? Why? Because you clearly are discriscriminating against Ooh, something. I, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but you are clearly discriminating, bro. <laughs> no, I'm not. Come I'm on. Just saying some Let's of us out, our some, What's our boy Charlie Munger Charlie, saying? Charlie Munger out here opening up another can of whoop ass on crypto. He can't. He can't not do it. He can't help himself. He's waiting. Charlie is like, look, man. As much as, as I want to like crypto, it's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. It's massively stupid. That's a quote. So crypto like lovers, when they hear Charlie Munger speak, they're just like, man, this guy's just dated. He's outdated. Yeah. He, he don't know what the fuck he's, he's talking about. 200 years old. So we're going to play an article about we, I mean, the man in the other room that looks through the glass like a, like a lost puppy. He's going to play this from CNBC. It was Charlie Munger answers daily journal shareholder questions. And then he felt the need, like he always does, to go off on a bit of a tangent and say, hey, cryptocurrency people, I fucking hate you. He always leaves <laughs> people with some gems. He just drops gems. He just talks shit the whole time. Yeah. 
All right, give them give the Charlie Munger troll in crypto. That leads me to this question about crypto that uh, Benjamin writes in. He says, in 2007 at the USC Law School, Charlie said, I'm not entitled to have an opinion on this subject unless I can state the arguments against my position better than the people who are supporting it. The question is, does this also apply to your Wall Street Journal article on banning cryptocurrencies? And if yes, would you care to share the arguments against your position? Oh, get him. <laughs> He's like, how far? How far should I go? Well, I... I uh... <laughs> Take a moment of silence. I don't think there are good arguments against my position. I think the people that oppose my position are idiots. <laughs> and... and... <laughs> And so I don't think there is a rational argument against my position. This is an incredible thing. Naturally, people like to run gambling casinos where other people lose. And the people who invented this crypto crapo, which is my name for it. Crypto Sometimes I call it crypto crapo, and sometimes I call it, well, crypto shit. Love it. It's just ridiculous that anybody would buy this stuff. Crypto shit. Crypto yeah. shit. It isn't. You can think of hardly nothing on earth that has done more good to the human race than currency, national currencies. They were absolutely required to turn man from a goddamn successful ape to <laughs> modern successful humans in human civilization. He's so mad. So that enabled all these convenient exchanges. So if somebody says, I'm going to create something that sort of replaces the national currency, it's like saying, I'm going to replace the national air. You know, it's, it's <laughs> asinine. Asinine. It, is, it isn't even slightly stupid. It's massively stupid. And, and of course, it's very dangerous. And, of course, the governments were totally wrong to permit it. And, of course, I'm not proud of my country for allowing this crap... <laughs> What I call the crypto shit. It's in case you forgot. It's no good. It's crazy. It'll do nothing but harm. It's antisocial to allow it. And the guy who made the correct decision on this is the Chinese leader. The Chinese leader took one look at crypto shit and he says, "Not in my China." And boom! Oh well, bad. There isn't any crypto shit in China. He's right and we're wrong. Wow. That was a gem. <clears throat> now you know why I included that one in the show notes. Man, so I just wish that we could just sit back one day and listen to an honest, candid conversation between Charlie Munger and Warren Buffett. I mean, how awesome would that be? <laughs> Them just sitting there talking shit about crypto. Crypto crapo! <laughs> yeah, yeah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, <laughs> man. He did not fuck around. <laughs> He's crypto shit. Let's see. How can I put this? China out? got it right. How can I put this eloquently? Uh, crypto shit. Crypto shit. Now, for those of you who are among the elitist assholes who say, hey, you know what? Munger's old. He's outdated. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Not only is he one of the most successful investors of all time. Yeah. The right hand to the one and only Warren Buffett. If you're the right hand to Warren Buffett, I mean, that in and of itself is amazing. So, University of Michigan, California Institute of Technology, and Harvard Law School where he got his law degree. Gang, gang. He's not stupid. <laughs> Occupation businessman and crypto hater. Right. Served in the military, U.S. Army. Wow. From 1943 to 1946. Battle service, World War II. Second Lieutenant, Army Air Forces. And nine children. Yeah. 
I mean, I'm going to go out and say it. He's a stud. 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 One of the greatest shooters of all time. Yep. 1924. He is, damn, 1924. He's almost 100 years old. Is that right? Wow. <laughs> Jesus, he's Guys. spry for 99. Seriously. Crypto crapo. He ain't playing. Woo. Well, wow. um, you could tell when he was doing this. He was legitimately pissed off that he still has to answer these questions. Yeah. And he was like, look, I'm just going to fucking call it what it is. I mean, he's they've been he's been saying this stuff for so long now that the people that he could have persuaded, he's already persuaded. Now, I, it, it's sad that more people don't listen to him. Well, do you think he always felt that way? Or do you think as crypto evolved, he he began to really to develop and form? Because I think anybody right now, he granted, I will say he's been saying this for a long ass time. Yeah. But I think anybody right now has started to form their opinion around crypto. There's still people who are absolutely loyalists, particularly for those in the Bitcoin space. Mm. But, you know, I don't I don't know. You think he always felt this way? I think so. I mean, did you ever feel differently about this? Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I did. Early on? Yeah, I thought like Ether had some value for buying and selling NFTs on the blockchain. But I thought more importantly... It was kind of the main fuel for like daily trading. Yeah, um, I mean, I don't. But everything they do, by they, I mean Warren Buffett and uh, Charlie Munger, is like stuff for the long term. Stuff yeah. that's going to be around for a long time. Yeah. You, when you talk talk about Ethereum and you know purchasing like NFTs and whatnot, like that, I don't think you thought that that was going to be like lasting a long time. Did I you? wanted to buy enough to where I felt like I was financially invested to keeping up with the space and the technology is important. Yeah. I mean, even Goldman has a whole trading group that invests in like blockchain and web three, but look, I, I don't think it's going to be the buy and selling things in the metaverse. Like people thought it was going to be right. I think the blockchain will have interesting use cases like the California DMV for titling. That's, that's a mm -hmm. great use case for it. Right. Right. But it'll be an internal blockchain. It won't be like an external one. Right. But it may enable like websites that have title responsibilities to to interact. So if you go to uh, the DMV's website and you want to change title to your car, it could be on their blockchain reported through them and you can remove the human element. Yeah. Using smart contracts that mm -hmm. that would be viable. But is that really crypto necessary? No, I've always thought deep down inside that I never understood the idea of cryptocurrency, decentralized, deregulated currency when effectively currency is digital. We went off the gold standard years ago. Yeah. And most of the money that you have is digitally represented on an app on your phone. And you go look at those numbers. Mm -hmm. Those numbers aren't real dollar bills in front of you. They're numbers on a screen. Yeah. No different than your cryptocurrency account. The only difference is you get FDIC Feel, insurance. It feels a little different. Yeah. It feels a little different because of, you know you know what it is and you know what it isn't. And you know it's regulated. That regulation, mm -hmm. that centralization, that gives you a whole hell of a lot of confidence. Yeah. It lets me sleep at night. Where and that's effective. I think what Charlie Munger's trying to get got, at is I don't got to worry about you know passwords and I, I forget about password. Then I lost all my money. That dude's got two attempts left. Can you believe that shit? Two attempts. How left. much? How much money was that? Do you remember? The look, looked that up. He had like two hundred forty million. I want to say or some yeah. crazy ass number. Some in, apparently in some Bitcoin. You get like ten attempts at a password, right? Yeah, and he's got eight done. He's got eight done. He stays up at night. And two, uh, two more attempts. He it automatically encrypts, and you just never get it. It'll just be. It just goes what? What happens to it? I think the drive or whatever it is automatically encrypts. It like goes in like encryption mode and locks itself down and you'll never get through the password. Mm -hmm. Um, Look it up yourself. I got lost. What? What the hell? 
Bro, you can't be sassing us with messages on the screen. At least chime <laughs> in and make some smart ass comment. <laughs> this guy, like, what crazy. are you doing? My bad. I was looking up the next article and I was researching something. And then there's a dude who locked himself out of his own crypto wallet and can't remember his password. He wrote it down on a piece of paper, threw the password away, and his crypto wallet has like 200 some some egregious amount of Bitcoin in it. And he's got two attempts left before the thing encrypts itself, and he'll never get access to it again. Yeah, so apparently here I think I found it. Back in 2011, he produced an animated video explaining how the digital currency works for his efforts at Bitcoin. Enthusiasts awarded him 7,000 Bitcoins. Later that year, he lost the password. This man owns $321 million in Bitcoin. I think it sounded like but this was Yeah, huh? but this was, this, yeah. yeah, this was in 2021. Yeah, we, know, we, know, yeah. we know shit's changed since then. Stefan Thomas said he's made peace with his state of events. Don't lie to yourself. No, you didn't. You, you, hey, you, no, you didn't. I guarantee you didn't make peace. There's not one doorknob in that house that he hasn't rammed his ding ding into. <laughs> <laughs> There's not one. No, come on, man. It's, it, you just, it just, you just hate yourself at that point. He needs to slap himself seven thousand times. I mean, every time you look in the mirror, you're like, God damn it, I'm stupid. <laughs> I mean, back First when he, back when he got it. you, who writes a password down anywhere on paper anymore? Yeah. If that's your only resource. Seriously. You already made a mistake. Like, I mean, it was, only, it was only a decade ago. I know. I know. There was Apple passwords for that. Yeah. You could, t 10 years ago, I think that was a thing. Yeah. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, Stefan Thomas, you an idiot. <laughs> but, you know, yeah. since we're being honest, there are people that are in smart people like bankers who've made some dumbass decisions lately. Uh, like those over at Silvergate? <sighs> Man. It's tough for them right now. I'd like to point out that my breathing into the mic like that was actually strategically done to relay a sense mm. of frustration and angst. Emphasis. Thought. Emphasis. SAT vocabulary day. Bitcoin tumbles as Silvergate fears wipe out bullish crypto traders. Mm, didn't we just talk about bullish? We did. That's Pee Wee Herman word of the day. <laughs> I really want, I, just once, I'd like to be able to do that and have somebody else like in public know what I'm talking about. Uh, you're dating yourself again. It was first... I would date me all day. No, no. That's the wrong date. I'm sexy. Yeah. Is that and reading rainbow? Reading rainbow. Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies were falling Friday as fears over Silvergate Bank took hold with the crypto-focused banks, bankers, distressed, risk, risking negative. What the Impacts hell? Impacts to market functioning and the regulatory picture. Okay. Here's the reality. All right. Price of Bitcoin has fallen 4% over the past 24 hours. Mm-hmm. To about 22,000. Still not 12,000 you said it was going to be. That's going to be there. Look, wait till I get through some of this for you. It's below 23,000, a level that uh, largely digital assets had held above for weeks. Mm -hmm. You think it's going to go farther? So, Silvergate. Oh, that's a yes. <laughs> Silvergate Capital used to be a California community bank. This is a little, little history lesson here. That was launched in the 90s, but pivoted into a cryptocurrency to offer traditional financial services to crypto companies, including exchanges. Silvergate is down 97% from its November high. Mm, cash money, baby. Buy the dip. <laughs> buy the dip. Don't buy the dip. Buy the dip. That's sarcasm, ladies and gentlemen. Do not buy the dip. No, I'm very dovish. No. Actually, can we come up with a new one? Yeah. Can we do like Prince and Rick James? Oh, like Prince is dovish. Yeah, Rick James is hawkish. That's good. That's our new trading terms. Yeah, Prince, Roddick City. What did the five fingers say to the face? What slap? He said it to him. Remember? Oh, you see that Chris Rock thing, man? Come on. What do you, you mean? He went what? in on Will Smith. What? But the whole show. Don't, don't you're. Oh, you're part of that whole community. No, too? I'm not part of that whole community. Stop. He deserved every bit of that. No, he deserved. It. He could like do what you want. 
but it just wasn't funny. I thought it was hilarious. Really? I thought it was. I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I mean, five minutes of just referring to Will Smith as a bitch. <laughs> okay, it was two minutes. No, it was like five. Uh, that was. No, I timed it. It was too much, bro. It, come on. I need. I need Chris Rock to realize his potential and the do jo- something new. Yeah, come I want, on. I want new rock. Did you watch the whole special? No. Okay, the whole special is funny. You should check it out. Of course, you watched it. Of course, yeah. All right, keep going. Also, so, Chris Rock was not the one calling him a bitch. No, he did at the end of his special, the last five minutes. Tell me you didn't see it. No, well. no, no, he he was he was inadvertently calling him a bitch. Okay. Yeah. He was he was just saying Charlemagne called him a bitch. Yeah. The Breakfast Club called him a bitch. So and so called him a bitch. Man, everybody called him a bitch. Man, everybody called him a bitch. Like he just kept saying that yeah, over yeah. and over. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, little backstory here. So, uh, one service that Silvergate operates is the Silvergate Exchange Network, which is an instant payment platform that enables Silvergate clients to send U.S. dollars anytime to any Silvergate account, even when traditional banks are closed on nights and weekends. This is from an article from MarketWatch. Why this matters. In March of 2022, investors were excited about Silvergate's potential and the prospect of its possible issuing of a stable coin after it bought assets from Meta's <laughs> Deem, formerly Not known so as stable. <laughs> yeah. Uh, formerly known as Libra, which is part of Meta's platform in an effort to build futuristic payment network. So I think everybody was really hoping that they were gonna like pave the way. Yeah, they really were. And I'll tell you, so I got a backstory here, which we talked about on a previous show. But before I get there, this from the Barron's article on March 3rd, it seems that worries over problems at Silvergate Bank, their ticker symbol is SI for shitty investment, are finally (laughs) gripping traders. Silvergate, an influential banker to digital asset current companies and key intermediary in the institutional crypto market, revealed in its filings late Wednesday that security sales amid a bank run could leave it, quote, Less than well capitalized. Mm. A problem, kids. A federally insured bank, the group said it was evaluating its ability to continue as a going concern, which is an accounting term. Arun, you should look that up. Going concern in accounting. And was in the process of reevaluating its business and strategies, also noting regulatory scrutiny. Uh, So here is the backstory. Several episodes ago, I lamented that I saw their CEO, who this guy's in our local market, right? Mm-hmm. So I lamented that I saw their CEO on CNBC, and I will tell you, he fumbled the bag big time on the interview. Did he? Oh my God, it was shortly after FTX had fallen, and he went on CNBC to say that that uh, there wasn't any exposure, that he was good, mm-hmm. that, that you, know, you should still believe in Silvergate Bank. <laughs> And then they started asking questions about the nexus to cryptocurrency and how he's done things. Right. One of the questions that he was asked in a separate interview, a separate time was, you know, how did you get regulatory approval? And he said, no, man, we just went out there and did it. And I was like, yep, Yahtzee, he's out. He's done. <laughs> stupid. Yeah, stupid. <laughs> so I should point out there are other crypto banks that have tried to go the regulatory approval route. Yeah. And they've been rejected. Some after, we talked about again on the show, after 27 months of trying. Yes. They finally got rejected, you know, their access to the Fed mm-hmm. system. And if you can't get access to the Fed, you can't really tap into, you know, the U.S. currency. Right. Well, at least not in the traditional sense anyway. You're not going to have Fed wire numbers. You're not going to, you're not going to go to the, you're not going to get direct access. Yeah. So for a bank with direct apps access, like Silver Bank, to just unilaterally decide to plug into the crypto network, mm-hmm. that's a problem. That's a big problem. And 
they were heavy, heavy, heavy into the space, including Alameda Research ties and everything else. They held a lot of FTX currency there, not necessarily their their uh, invest investing in them and Bitcoin, but they held their currency and cash there. Yeah. So you can imagine all these things have had a compound effect. Obviously, the interview leads to a lack of confidence, the regulatory scrutiny. What is a going concern? What they said they had. Going concern is an accounting term for a company that is financially stable enough to meet its obligations and continue its business for the foreseeable future. Mm. So, so the bank. So remember, the bank is down ninety-seven percent from its November high. This also from the Market Watch article, according to one calculation by crypto analysts. Take that with a grain of salt. Silvergate crypto analysts. Silvergate made up sixty-one point seven percent of total worldwide crypto asset prudential exposures. Really? <laughs> 61.7%. What is that going to do to the whole crypto market when they fold? Ooh, they, they're going to fold. I mean, honestly. And so I, the regulators right now are probably, they have their hands full with this, I'm sure. And mm -hmm. I can't imagine. According to one calculation by crypto analyst and writer David Girard, Silvergate made up again, to your point, 61.7% of total worldwide crypto assets. Wow, you are not lying. Yeah. Uh, the that, bank is also facing lawsuits that accuse the firm of failing to alert investors that it lacks necessary protections needed to detect money laundering on the platform. So, yeah, that, that's a tricky one because banks do have a requirement from uh, a regulatory perspective to to do things like monitor for anti-money laundering laws, you mm -hmm. know, source of wealth, source of funds, know where your customers are getting this stuff from. And you really can't do that with crypto because, you know, anonymous. Right. Connected wallets. Mm-hmm. So again, I don't know what I don't know what they were thinking. Yeah, one of, they went one of the so way, heavy into this market. One of the way um, banks do that is by sourcing sourcing the funds and figuring out exactly where the funds come from. You know, and this is a very misunderstood thing for, by consumers. Yeah, I was gonna say. So why don't you like get into that a little bit? You're gonna tell them what to do. I was gonna ask you to explain to the listeners. That doesn't feel like you asked me. That seemed like a very very pointed. Like, why don't you go ahead and do that? Uh, listen, Mister Bottom Host, can you please? <laughs> <laughs> well as a bottom host yeah bring it back full circle uh let me let me be the first person to tell you that i'm doing this because i want to oh you wanted to not because you told me to okay all right so one of the biggest misconceptions i think by the consumer whenever they submit their financial information to a bank is that the bank shouldn't be asking questions if they meet the financial obligations Ah, uh, that's okay. one of the most frustrating things for me as an underwriter yeah it's incredibly frustrating because you you'll have some questions one of the questions we have to ask and know the answer to is source of wealth and source of funds. Mm -hmm. Where did this person's source of wealth come from? And where did the funds come from to enter into this transaction? Right. Not necessarily the same thing, either way. Right. By the way. So source of source of funds, right? So you're gonna get money. It could be a gift from your parents. It could be money you saved up over a couple of years. You could have had a liquidity event, you know, you could right. have sold a piece of real estate. You could be an owner of, of another company. You could you have could saved own, it over time. You could have a lot of rental properties that you, right. you collect a lot of income from. Or, converse theory, mm -hmm. you could be a terrorist. <laughs> yeah, and you exactly. got money from a terrorist organization that was wired in from Osama bin Laden back from the grave. Right. You, I mean, I'm just saying, like, there are plenty of people like cartels mm -hmm. who will take cash and put it in the United States and I'll try to put it into legal real estate investments. So you take illegal funds, Ill illicitly gotten gains. Yes. And they'll find a way to get in the US banking system and they'll buy a piece of real estate and then all the cash flow that comes from this totally legal and normally operating real estate is right. now clean washed money. Right. So but here's here's the, here's an example that I've that you I can paint out for people. 
Paint it out for me. Paint it out. Ima- Slowly. Imagine somebody Slower. buying. Slower. Imagine some. You like it slow? Slower. Because you know I'm on top. Okay. <laughs> imagine, imagine a person buying an apartment complex, okay, that is 20 units, downtown LA. It's nice. They buy it all cash. They buy it two years ago. That's questionable. Right? But they don't have a loan on it. They paid, they paid, they paid the seller off in cash, okay? Two years later, now they've got two years of operating statements. Mm-hmm. They got their own property managers on there trying to make it look all legitimate. Now they want to refi, pull now, that cash out. Now they want to refi and take some cash out so they can in, take that new money and quote unquote invest it into another property or another investment or whatever the hell they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's my job as the underwriter to see, wait, this property doesn't have a loan on it. It was purchased two years ago. I want to see where that money came from to buy the property. Yeah. Show me where it came from. Completely valid question. And from a regulatory perspective, we are obligated to ask that. I have to ask that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not just like, okay, you gave me the answer like, oh, it came from this account. Well, that account was just opened only a month prior to it being sent out. Now I got to find out where, how did that money get into that account? And it keeps going back and back and back until you can finally trace it. Yeah. And then the natural question is like, okay, well, source of wealth, like, why does that matter if you know where the money came from? Well, how did you get wealthy? Yeah. You know, and, and I'll, uh, there's a great example of, I can't say names. Oh, Damn it. I already know. I already know. There's a great example of that I, people that I've seen who, ha- who live the lifestyle, all the high-end exotic cars, hypercars stored away, flashy social media, mm-hmm. all about how they're in the real estate business, hypothetically. Yeah. Right? But then you're like, well, where did that money come from? Well, I own a lot of real estate. Well, how'd you get to own a lot of real estate? How'd you, so here's the way this typically works. Mm-hmm. For those of you out there in listener land, you don't just one day magically start buying 10, 20, 30 million dollar properties. Okay. Unless you have a windfall of money to put down and buy it, mm-hmm. it's not going to happen that way. Right. You got to acquire things over time. And for some asshole to say, hey, man, I've lived through a recession. I, I, I'm worth a hundred million dollars. No. Yeah. Unless you had the money to buy, even if it was $50 million of the real estate back then and it's doubled in value. Okay, you had to put what thirty percent down, thirty percent fifty million. It's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. Where did it come from? Oh, but I bought no cash in. Get the fuck out of here. No, this is not my first rodeo. I've right. looked at billions of dollars of transactions over decades. Right. You're not going to spend that shit to me. Yeah. This is what I do. And when they can't even claim inheritance, I get hair transplants <laughs> and I call out bullshit. Yeah. That's what I do. Calling out but, bullshit. So you see this kind of stuff all the time. And to to date, I've had real tough conversations with people who who were otherwise very successful, very well known, mm-hmm. who could not tell me their source of wealth. And, and I have an obligation as, as a regulated institution not to give them money because you can't answer these questions. Right. So I can't tell somebody in good faith that you're not a money launderer. And, and not everybody is, but I mean And to the average listener that does listen to this sh- to this show, you know, it may not seem like that big of a deal if somebody asks me, "How oh, how'd you make your money?" "Oh, okay, I, I work at so and so job." But you got to understand when you're working with these like high net worth clients, mm-hmm. like they get offended very easily. If how dare you question my wealth? Yeah, or if 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 they've shown you one statement with you know x amount of millions of dollars in it, and you ask them for a second statement, it's like all hell breaks loose. Well, so here's also another thing that I think people don't understand about the uber wealthy. Most people that p- apply for a loan, mm-hmm. you're giving them all your information. This is all my assets. 
Yes. So they can come up with net worth. This is all my liquidity so they can see how right. much money cash you have. Right. A really wealthy person doesn't do that. They're like, this is this is as much as you need to see in order to give me a loan. Exactly. Like, give me the fucking loan. Shut up. Yeah. I've done I've done loans. I've we've done loans for people that you know, multi million dollar loans, and they've just provided me one statement. And I can see that they own you know who's much, the worst, much man? more billionaires. Billionaires are the worst because it's never the billionaire who actually gives you the financial information. Yeah. It's somebody on their team. Yeah. But they never give you the whole picture. And even if they do, it's thousands of pages of tax returns and you're just sitting there like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, oh, can't, why, why are you doing this? Why has it got to be in 14 languages? Yeah, exactly. How many times have I had to translate Spanish and French and... Yeah. I mean, it's just, you're like, come on, man. Yeah. I almost had to do Hungarian. Mm-hmm. It was awkward. <laughs> yeah. I know why that was awkward. So... There's an article that I'd like to 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 touch on mm-hmm. gently, like it's the first time every time, <laughs> because I know that this is going to be a very sensitive topic for some people. This article that I'm about to touch. This one. This one. Mm-hmm. Americans in their 30s are piling on debt. This, according to the Wall Street Journal, so you know it's got to be like TMZ garbage. Can't be true. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go ahead. And I'm going to read this, but I don't want people to get all up in their feels. Okay? okay. You might be 30. We're not speaking specifically to you. We're just speaking at you. <laughs> okay. American millennials in their 30s have racked up debt at a historic clip since the pandemic. Now, I'm going to pause early and I'm going to say, you remember when Brian Moynihan went out to a banking conference and was like, the consumers got tons of money. Consumers in great shape. They're in great shape. Mm-hmm. Even Jamie Dimon said it recently, but I think he was trolling. No. His comments recently. Have you seen his comments? He put out only comments people, Only people I see him troll are, are the crypto bros. In Bloomberg uh, today, they posted an article, uh, not an article, video of him at a banking conference. I saw that, yeah. Where he was talking about how he loved Florida, he loved Texas because mm-hmm. they're politically doing the right things. California and New York were forcing people out because of their, their, their political practices. Mm-hmm. Honestly, it was it was such a interesting candy. I don't know if he'd had a drink or not. Mm-hmm. But he was so candid and transparent about the way he felt about the business. And he was like, look, like I wish New York was better. You never speak, you never hear him speak like that. Never hear him speak like that speak like that. Actually, Arun, while while I'm reading this article, um, see if you can find it. It was on Bloomberg Business. See if you can find Jamie Diamond talking about Florida and um and Texas today, if you can find that video. Um, wow, did you just pull that shit up like that? Jesus Christ, that was amazingly fast. Mm -hmm. Can you play this clip right now? Is this the one you were talking about? Yeah, this is the one. The one that I saw he was sitting down. No, I think this is the one. They zoomed in on his face. Play it. According to the Wall Street Journal, the total balances of these millennials who racked up all their debt hit more than $3.8 trillion in the fourth quarter. That's with a T. Wow. According to the Federal Reserve Bank of New York, a 27% jump from the late in 2019. That is the steepest increase of any age group. It's also their fastest pace of debt accumulation over a three-year period since the 2008 financial crisis. Hmm. Wow. Interesting. I mean, you know that uh. you, you know that inflation also plays a role in this. Totally does. The debt buildup could worsen a generational wealth gap that was already on the rise for millennials. Many started their career during the 2007 to 2009 recession with no bargaining power, crimping their earnings ever since. Even when the economy is doing well, some have said that they feel as though their financial gains are fragile. That can leave them hesitant or less able to take risks that would power the broader economy, such as starting a business or investing. Stacy, I can't say her last name, 31 years old, was nearly ready to buy her first home before the pandemic. 
After two years of living with her parents, she had saved up a down payment and shrunk her credit card debt. When schools were shut down, Stacy ran credit card balances back up to cover childcare bills of $1,200 a month. Childcare is wrong, man. It's fucked up. It's so fucked up. Then inflation started to squeeze her budget while higher interest rates made it more expensive to borrow. She opened new credit cards and dipped into her down payment money, eventually ending up with more than $20,000 in credit card and personal loan debt with little saved. God, it makes me feel so bad. Here's a quote from Stacy: Everything was more expensive. Shampoo and kids getting older and needing different things. A construction project manager in the Miami area who makes just over $40,000 a year. Now you're getting nowhere. Man. That's rough, man. That's rough. You know, you know, it's not just her, right? You, you can, you can imagine people were already living paycheck to paycheck, and then you think that during the pandemic, some people were lucky enough to save up some money. They got those stimmies, and they were able to save it. Maybe they saved on expenses on going to work and childcare expenses, but others people didn't, man, and they had to continue to pay those high prices. And inflation hit, and it got worse and worse. Well, what were they supposed to do? I mean, I feel for him. I really do. But what I will say in the macro picture yeah. is the debt is a problem. And I'd say for someone like Stacy, you know what? This is just general advice to everybody. And Arun is going to try to redeem himself here shortly and play the full one-minute clip. But before he does that, mm-hmm. um, I have long believed that we should all have a secondary source of income, multiple streams of income. Since I read that first financial book by Robert G. Allen called Multiple Streams of Input, Impact. Right. Income. Fuck. It's dated now. Mm-hmm. But it's still a good book in, in principle. Kind of like Rob Kiyosaki's book, right? Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Rich Dad, Poor Dad, right. It's dated, but I think it has a lot of value there, even though I think I don't really like him that much. Yeah, but it's a good starting point. It's, it's a great start, yeah. starting point. You can't, you can't take that away from the book. It, it's seminal. If you're making less than, in this country, at this point in time, $100,000 a year, you really need to start to strive to, to invest in yourself and see if you can get there first. Yeah. From that, your primary job. That's sound advice. And I know that that's difficult to say because someone like Stacy making 40 grand a year, she's in construction. She needs to figure out a way to get the education or to get the experience or to, to, to drive her primary source of income to about 100K. Yeah. For her, that's more than double what she already makes. I understand that's a far long way to go. Yes. But that, that should be the target before you start looking at auxiliary income. Yeah. Just, just my two cents. But the, this, you know, the system could have also failed her too, man. You know, it, the system it, fails a lot of people, man. The system tough. is built to put her in that position. I'm not taking that away from her. Yeah, and it's a tough decision that she, that people have to like grapple with because clearly she has kids. She mentioned, so how do you put your kids first and also be able to focus on yourself? Dude, I struggle with this all the time. Yeah, I saw my son for an hour and a half today. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I couldn't hold him and smell him enough. I know. And I know that and I don't want to take anything away from you. That is difficult. That is difficult for you. I get that. But for someone like that that doesn't have the means, like she's got to still pay for like the childcare stuff. Oh, 100%. You know? And it's like you feel for those people because there's no way around this. I grew up, it's, so, in like a, it's almost like a paradox. We grew up poor and my dad acquired wealth. My parents divorced and I was straddling both sides of the fence. Mm-hmm. Damn near poverty with a foreclosed home and very rich in a very rich neighborhood on the weekends. Right. And it was, it taught me some incredible things about life. I remember at the the high school that I went to that was largely lower class kids, maybe middle class kids at, at the highest. You know, there was gangs there. There was a little bit of drugs. 
He was dangerous. Mm-hmm. But people got along. They belonged to tribes. They were tribal, right? But at the same time, there was almost like a, a togetherness in it all. Like we were all from the same place. Right. When I went to the rich neighborhood and the rich high school, these rich kids whose parents worked two jobs, there was more drugs than I'd ever seen. There were, there were more weapons than I'd ever seen. There was more violence and sex than I'd ever seen. It's true. And there, there was no, I mean, they were the cryptocurrency of high schools, <laughs> right? They was out there doing the thing unregulated. Right. And it, it was very polarizing because the, the life that's supposed to be better isn't always better. Yes, it's true. And money is, is generally going to bring more problems. And it was very interesting for me at a very young age to, to kind of straddle that fence and see. It taught me young, like, you don't need to have the big-ass house or the super expensive car or the high-end watches. And I did a lot of those things. I'm not going to say I didn't. Right. But I will tell you that none of them ever made me happier. It did, yeah. Those, time, those times showed you that I was able to be happy back then when I didn't have yeah, or I couldn't afford these types of things. I totally agree with that. You know, striving for that success that, that you want doesn't always mean that you're going to be happy once you get there. 100%. And it's okay to change that evolution of what you want. Yeah. It, it's okay to be nimble with your dreams. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us grow up dreaming of the idea of having a supercar, like a Ferrari or Lamborghini. And I'll tell you right now, that couldn't be farther from the thing that I would buy right now. Right. I would never. I remember when I, when like right before the, right before the pandemic, for a few years prior to the pandemic, what I really wanted to do was really learn, you know, what I was learning in underwriting. And I, mm. uh, I was, I was coming into the office. I remember that I, I had great mentorship, um, but in that time, I was also grabbing like old files and just reading them, not knowing what I was reading. But look, if I feel like if I read enough things, I'll, I'll be able to recognize some patterns, you know. <laughs> so just some pattern recognition. Be like, sure, oh, you do. Okay, I get it. Okay, okay, I see this. This is constantly something that I can expect, and you learn that way. And I don't know if that's the best way. I don't know if that's the, the fastest way. But during that time, kind of like what what you're what you're experiencing now was I was seeing at the time we only had my son, I would only see him for an hour in the morning because mm-hmm. I handled drop offs and I'd stay late. We lived all the way in Riverside, so by the time I got back home, because I'd stay late to miss traffic, he'd be asleep. Yeah, it's the worst. You know, and so it's like I got what I wanted. I was striving for that success of learning mm-hmm. the things that I wanted to learn, but in retrospect. I feel like I missed out a lot. Yeah, you do. You know, but it was a price that it, it's something, it was inevitable. It had to be done. Yeah, I mean, I, I go back and forth with it. I mean, my, my son took his first steps. I saw it from, you know, the lens of my cell phone. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't see it in person. All right, Arun, try to redeem yourself. Well, I think they've been great. I mean, you know, if you were running the state, you know, you should be thinking, how can I make this state off good, well off my people? So Florida likes business. They want you to come. You know, you come to Florida, you see the optic. Texas is the same way. You know, if, if I was some other states, I'd be thinking about why do people like going to these states? It's their taxes. It's their pro-business. They want better life for the people. It's not necessary some of the policy we talked about. So, um, you know, we now have more employees in Texas than in New York State. You know, it should have been that way, but Texas loves Fucking Tiesto playing behind Jamie Diamond. Like, what's going yeah, on? I was, I was like, what the shit's going on? Like, who decided they were going to make this, like, like a rap song? <laughs> that wasn't a rap song, bro. That was Cascade. That was Tiesto. That was everybody. Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> okay, we'll just paraphrase. He's at a conference. The, the, the ruin, bro. Are you not listening to this stuff? You're supposed to be DJing over in the booth. Yeah. <laughs> One of you on the next track. What's yeah. wrong with you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he basically, he said that he loved Texas. He loved Florida. 
He talked about the political impacts, and he was very cavalier with his thoughts. I mean, granted, Tiesto wasn't actually playing in the background whenever he did that, but right. it's all good. It's all good. Jamie Dimon, although he's not even sporting a tie, looking kind of... He was kinda, loose. Man. Yeah, I think you're right. Loose. I think he had a beverage. I think there was a cocktail involved there. I think that that's what was going on. Yeah. All right. So before we end the show, we're getting a little long on the tooth. Mm-hmm. There is a topic that came up, and I was not looking for it. It came up all on its own. Bitch slapped me right in the face. From Bloomberg Business? From Bloomberg Business. I got into a fight on social media with a guy who, again, was one of these inexperienced people who didn't want to take two minutes to look and see what I do for a living before he started challenging me on shit. Telling me that I was an idiot for telling people that cash was one of the best returning investments in 2022. Yeah. Cash and commodities. You don't know what you're talking about, man. I went to school and they said that's never a good investment, man. <laughs> Stupid, man. I can't believe you have a platform, man. <laughs> well, according to Bloomberg Business, uh, there's a recurring trend here, kids. Holding cash will be a winning strategy in 2023, according to investors. Two-thirds of respondents of a survey among professionals and retail investors said that cash in their portfolios would be a net positive mm-hmm. in the year ahead, rather than a drag on performance. Right. Cash holding, such an allure, says a lot about the unsettled financial and economic environment. Right. So, okay, well. I mean, if you're if you're one of those people that feel like the Fed is is doing the right thing and inflation is going to come down by the end of the year, okay, if you're that person that believes that, and you can get a savings account, they can pay you upwards of four and a half percent. Easy. Easy. Four and a half percent. Then. That in and of itself right there shows you that holding on to cash will outperform, right? Dude, it used to be where you put money into a savings account last lasts like 14 years. And people were like, ah, who cares? 1%, 2%, who cares? Whatever. Right. But now it's real money. Real money. It's real money. You can get four, in some cases, almost 5%. Yeah. In non-operational accounts, CDs, definitely. Yeah. This was, is real money you're leaving on the I'll table. Say, I think I said on cash. the last episode, six-month T-bill was yeah. at 5%. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. So that, that you're leaving real money on the table by not being thoughtful about your savings. And we've always talked about on the show, a good strategy is to have six months of whatever your living expenses, your mortgage or rent, plus all your living expenses for six months in an account, start off, you know, saving a month ahead, get to two or three months, plan on having six, put that in an account. Don't touch it. That's your emergency fund for something happens, right? right? Don't listen to these crypto bros. Tell me the fastest way to get there is by investing in crypto. And I understand, traditionally speaking, saving won't make you rich. And I'm not advocating that you save. Right. I'm advocating that you be wise with your money and you save for an investment now. Right. Now, investment opportunities will certainly come, particularly if you believe what we're trying to tell you, that we're in a recessionary economy. Right. And if we are, and you're waiting for this investment opportunity to come up, What's wrong with getting five percent on your money? Right, holding it in cash, not having to worry about a taxable, taxable, Tax- taxable, taxable, not having to worry about a tax taxable problem like capital gains, right, or short term or long term gains. You can literally just put your money into a savings account, earn five percent a reasonable return, and be patient, and wait for your opportunity to strike. And something that I feel like not enough people talk about, and I think you may have mentioned it earlier on this show, is. If you're looking to really invest in something and you just want to invest in something, look to invest in yourself. Learn yeah, learn a new skill. Do not buy a course from Grant Cardone. No, no, I'm not saying, yeah, be careful on who you buy the course from or what you're doing. 
but you can go back and get some continued education. I like real estate licenses, man. Go back and get a real estate license. Learn about your largest investment for most people. And mm -hmm. I, I say the word investment loosely. It should not be considered that. But a lot of people, you know, that's what they consider because that's what their equity is. I get that. Right. But if you're going to buy a house, buy your own house. Right. Get a real estate license. Get a broker's mm -hmm. license. Right. Use that commission towards your down payment. Right. Or you don't if, have all the money. Or if you are a real estate agent, learn more about how to lease commercial units. Yeah. Learn more about the entire entirety of the business. And just because for there is going to be somebody out there who's a dissenter saying, man, I'm never going to use this. I'd rather pay somebody with subject matter expertise. Fine. I honestly believe spending some money to get a real estate license for the education, even if it never makes you any money, mm -hmm. is worth it. Yeah. Just to have the knowledge base. So maybe one day you can teach your kids how to buy a home. Right. How's the CFA thing going? I've not even thought about it or started to study yet. Really? Yeah, I got level one, I think in May, was it? Level one is May. Oh, I got you. Yeah, okay. level one in May. I, I'm so damn busy right now. It's I, I didn't leave the office to like seven. I got home at like 7.15. Yeah. Was with my son and my wife till we put him to bed at around just before eight. Left the house at like 8.30. Got here in the studio with you. Literally <laughs> pulled wires through holes for like an hour and a half. Yeah. I mean, you nailed that though. No, we, we nailed that. We nailed that. I mean, this actually kind of means that Arun is an instrumental part of the show now. I know. Now we got to really factor in his schedule. I mean, this is awkward. <laughs> Maybe if we push the button and ran in here, we could do without him. <laughs> oh, come on. <laughs> and then we, we could just edit it. We edit out the first five seconds. <laughs> Have like elevator music in the beginning. I wonder if people notice or appreciate the fact that this is one take. It is one take. You know what? Let's do this. Yeah. For those of you who listen to the show and you're wondering like, okay, are there pauses in between? My wife actually asked me this. She's like, you guys go straight through every time? I'm like, yeah, what, what did you yeah. think happened? She's like, I thought you guys like edited parts out i'm like no that's that's raw yeah it's it's one take all the way through We're just fucking cunning linguists yeah never you know? edited never, never edited. Not, this not, is what we do not even one time from, from jump street to, to right to the end right we go go now we have in the past deleted some of saeed's horrible introductions. wow no that was the whole episode no no that was a horrible introduction oh, oh and we deleted okay. it we stopped and said you know what because that never this, happened with you. This beginning is dog shit. We're going to stop that, it. That never, that never happened with you? No, never. Prove it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It. You don't have the audio clips. You ain't got that. I know. So but, the whole point of us putting cords through holes and having a rune outside is that we are going to transition pretty quickly here to a video component in addition to this. Yes. Now, I don't think we can put the video on Spotify like Rogan does. I think that's only like their special podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, only the number one podcast in the world. Yeah, <laughs> small yeah. reference point. I don't know. We may be able to. I have to look into but it. But certainly YouTube. Now, I don't know how logistics-wise we're going to get the audio out at the same time, but I guess we're, we're going to figure that shit out. We'll figure it out. I'll make, we'll make it happen. Whew, that's a lot of commitment right there. I'll make it happen. I mean, eventually it'll be right. I mean, I can't but guarantee we are all wired up. So the tripods get here on Friday. We've got... Um, we already got two cameras. The third camera will be delivered tomorrow. Uh, and then we're off to the races. I hope, Hopefully the lens, the lens that we have for that third camera will And then what we're going to do is we're going to do some trial and error runs and edits and then maybe sometime in April. Wow. You, that, ooh, that's that soon? May? Uh, certainly by April, I think we can get some stuff out. I still don't know. What the, some shorts or some, or some clips? Yeah. The hardest part about this whole thing, I know what it is. It's trusting Odin. No, no, I trust him because all we're going to do is add the video switcher to, to this and 
even if he screws that up, he can literally just drag no, and drop. No, he's gonna he's gonna have to timestamp everything. No, no, no. You're, you're overthinking it. I mean, that's why he's producing and you're sitting here. Yeah. Okay. He's getting dressed for this goddamn show at like midnight every night. Oh, getting dressed. I know, acting like you know, <laughs> we did this. What time is it right now? It is. As we finish this show, it is twelve thirteen. It is literally thirteen minutes past midnight. Mm-hmm. So. We're going to say goodnight now because I love my wife and I want to go home and cuddle for at least two hours before I have to get up again. And I appreciate you guys for news because I know we pushed the time back because of me. Hey, man. Son said he wanted to see daddy before he goes to bed. He does. He wants me to continue to- I'm not going to say no to that. Tuck him in. Can't say no yeah, to that's that. not going to last much longer. He's almost seven. I know. Get it while you can, brother. Yeah. Never have any pushback from me. Right. All right, Arun. Take us out with a goodnight, everybody. <laughs> Ain't going to steal my lunch? Arun, come on, bro. Good night, everyone. Yeah! <laughs> I hope you enjoyed today's conversation on the Higher Standard Podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you are listening to this on. If you like this episode, please write a review and share it with us. You're getting the show up and running right now, so every message, every review, and every note counts. This show exists to showcase what's possible when leaders decide to uphold a higher standard for their businesses, their investments, their families, and most importantly, themselves. If you want to see more of my content, I post daily on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. So be sure to follow me on your favorite social media platform. And with that, it is a wrap. And as always, I look forward to hanging with you all on the next episode.